So the scripture this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And then I've got to try to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. So if everyone could please stand for the reading of God's word. It says, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man named Sorry, let me start over. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then 1 Corinthians 7.35. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. I try to make it as challenging as possible to flip around and find all my... (laughs) By the way... um, How true um, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That one incident we still know of today because of her love for Jesus. Four months, approximately four months after the attack on Pearl Harbor, on April 18, 1942, 16 B-25B Mitchell medium bombers were launched without flight or escort from the U.S. Navy's aircraft carrier USS Hornet deep in the western Pacific Ocean, each with a crew of five men, all of whom were volunteers. The plan called for them to bomb military targets in Japan and to continue westward to land in China because landing a medium bomber on the Hornet was impossible. Fifteen of those 16 aircraft reached China, where the Chinese were supposed to activate homing beacons to guide them to airfields, but the U.S. Navy failed to signal the Chinese to turn on the beacons So, low on fuel, with darkness approaching and the weather worsening, the crews either crash-landed their aircraft or bailed out. The 16th plane landed in Vladivostok in the Soviet Union, where the crew was imprisoned. Three crewmen died bailing out, 
and eight airmen were captured by the Japanese army in China. Three of those were later executed. The men who flew Doolittle's raid knew what they were getting into. They knew they might be shot down. They knew they might be captured. They knew they might die. But they went anyway because they were all in. Do you know what I mean by that? They were all in. They were completely committed. They were completely committed to the mission. Like Doolittle's raiders, we come to Christ as volunteers. He does not draft anyone. And like the raiders, we must be all in. Completely committed to Christ's mission in the world. And complete commitment to Christ is not merely an ideal. It is God's purpose for every believer. And all the people said... <laughs> Peter said to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 verse 28 we have left everything to follow you folks that's the voice of total complete commitment Oswald Chambers said this beware of stopping anywhere short of total surrender to God most of us have only a vision of what this really means, but have never truly experienced it. And he goes on to say, the New Testament example of the Christian experience is that of a personal, passionate devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. W.H. Griffith Thomas admonished Christians this way. There is no greater foe to Christianity than mere profession. There is no greater discredit to Christianity today than to stand for it and yet not live it in our lives. There is no greater danger in the Christian world today than to stand up for the Bible and yet to deny that Bible by the very way we defend it. There is no greater hindrance to Christianity today than to contend for orthodoxy, whatever the orthodoxy may be, and to deny it by the censoriousness, the hardness, the unattractiveness with which we champion our cause. Oh, this power of personal testimony, with the heart filled with the love of Christ, the mind saturated with the teaching of Christ, the conscience sensitive to the law of Christ, the whole nature aglow with the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, that sounds to me like a call to complete devotion to Jesus Christ, like we heard Paul say in that last scripture that Dean read this morning. Whether you choose to call it complete devotion Complete consecration, total surrender, total commitment, entire sanctification. It is something that is intended by God to be typical of believers in Jesus Christ, not something reserved for a limited number of spiritual giants. It is the expectation, not the exception. So, Dean read for us this morning an account It's a woman who 
through an expression of love, took this jar of precious perfume and poured the entire contents on Jesus' head. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> Whew. Have you seen those advertisements on TV about the strong deodorizers and people spray it and then run out of the house? That's kind of what I think of. Can you imagine an entire jar of that perfume? Pour? I don't know how Jesus could breathe. But that's not the point, is it? See, this is, this is an account of complete devotion. It was the custom to pour a few drops of perfume on the head of a guest when he arrived at a house or sat down to a meal. Perhaps, as in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee and was not shown the courtesy of providing water with which to wash his feet, he was on this day denied the courtesy of the anointing with perfume. There was, however, someone who did not forget. From John's Gospel, we know it was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who did more than place a few drops of fragrance on Jesus' head, but broke the vessel that contained the perfume and poured the entire contents on Jesus. Mary went beyond what was customary and expected. Rather than giving a few drops, she gave all she had of something very precious and valuable. And then the First Corinthians passage. I am saying this to you, Paul writes, for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Complete commitment. Paul in this passage that this verse comes from, is dealing with marriage, to be or not to be married, and the issue of avoiding sexual temptation and falling into sin. The point is that we see here his expectation of those believers that he's writing to, and that expectation is this, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That was his expectation. That is the norm for followers of Jesus Christ. It is the right way to live in undivided or complete devotion or commitment, if you want to use that word, to the Lord. There is only room for one on the throne of our lives. So, what does complete devotion or complete commitment or being all in, what does that look like? Well, First of all, it appears to be extravagant. What the woman did in anointing Jesus with the entire contents of the perfume bottle was extravagant. Overboard. Look, look at the reaction of those who were present that day. They couldn't believe that she had done something so outrageous. The entire contents of the jar poured on Jesus? I mean, this stuff was worth a year's wages for the average guy. The footnote in my Bible says that this perfume was worth 300 denarii. A denarius was a Roman coin worth about three pennies, which was a working man's daily wages. It was rare. It came from the root of a plant that grew only in India. 
So what Mary did in this act of devotion was extravagant. She was doing, she was overdoing it in the eyes of the onlookers. Really? Converts in the Wesleyan revival in England were saved from such things as drunkenness, brawling, sloth, profanity, adultery. In the joy of their salvation, they sang and shouted the praise of God and were ridiculed as enthusiasts. You're too, you're too enthusiastic about Jesus. That was by the hierarchy of the established church. Oh, take it easy, boys and girls. They overdid it. They went overboard. They were extravagant in their praise. See, complete devotion can appear to be extravagant or overboard to those who are looking on and don't understand what that devotion requires. And here's what it does require. It requires daily death. And you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of morbid. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, the Apostle Paul writes, I die every day. I mean that. Just as surely as I glory over you in Jesus Christ our Lord. I die every day. What? Well, if... I mean, he wouldn't have been writing if he was physically dead, correct? What did he mean? Well, one of the things he meant was what Jesus called us to do. To take up our cross daily and follow him. Well, the cross is a symbol of death, was it not? The cross was a symbol of death. Listen, folks, when Jesus went to the cross, he knew exactly what he was in for. It happened all the time. That was the Romans' heinous way of killing people because it was a horrible way to die. The cross was a symbol of death. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Sacrifices, and it's certainly in the Jewish mind, were something that died, right? When you brought a lamb or a calf or a bull or a goat or whatever it was, it was put to the knife. It died. The good news is that Paul says we're to be living sacrifices. So how do you die daily? How do you die daily? Well, you die to self. You make a choice every day. You know, in my Bible I wrote next to Romans 12:1 daily. I choose to be a living sacrifice every day of my life. I choose to die to self every day. See, it's a realization that the Christian life is not about me. It's about Jesus. The devoted life is a life of sacrifice. That means that you might actually have to give up something, but you're willing to do it. It means that you might not get to do what you want to do all the time, but that's okay. Just think about what the church would be like if it were just filled with people who had this attitude. I mean, really had this attitude and lived it. 
So we have to die daily. That's what this kind of complete devotion looks like. It also requires focused obedience. Mark 12.30 Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then I follow that with John 14.15 If you love me, just the way we said, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Right? You'll do what I tell you to do. You'll do what the scripture says you should do. You'll do what the scripture says you should not do. That's obedience. Focused obedience. And listen, if you've died to self, that isn't nearly as big a problem as if you have not died to self. It also means, so we, we're talking about death to self, focused obedience. It also means peaceful relationships. Romans 12, 16 and 18. Live in harmony with one another, Paul writes. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us there make every let us therefore excuse me make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. First Thessalonians five thirteen. Live in peace with each other. Hebrews 12.14, make every effort to live in peace with all men. You think God's trying to make a point there? Yeah. Get it through your thick head, right? We're to live at peace. How many churches have blown up because people in the church could not live at peace with one another? And the world's watching and saying, I knew that stuff about Jesus wasn't real. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us some insight into Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know what that's called if you boil it down? Love one another. That's what it's called. Love one another. So that means being able to let go, not insisting on your own way or your rights. Boy, isn't that huge in our culture. I've got my rights. The problem is that sometimes to have our rights means we trample on someone else's, doesn't it? It means being able to forgive. And this is so essential in the church, in the body of Christ. I mean, think of the damage that has happened again and can happen again because brothers and sisters in Christ have gotten their tails in a knot over something and have refused to live in peace. And it it has a negative effect on a watching world that is hoping to see that what we claim is genuine. Remember, we are one body And the body never does well when it's fighting itself. 
That's what my body's doing right now. And it's not doing well. And listen, we may not always have peace with people in our world. Just the fact that we proclaim and live the truth is antagonistic to some people. And I think that's why Paul wrote that we are to live in peace as far as it depends on us. The bottom line is we need to make every effort to live at peace, whether the person on the other side of the issue wants to live at peace with us or not. We need to make every effort to live at peace because that is what a devoted, committed follower of Jesus Christ does. Daily death. Hmm. Committed resources. Matthew 6, 20 and 21. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. See, the completely devoted follower of Jesus, the person who's all in for Jesus, realizes that nothing really belongs to them. Oh, we tend to say that. It's my car, my house, my family, my stuff. But we realize that really everything we have is God's. We've just been made stewards of that stuff. We're caretakers, we're managers. That's what we've called, been called to be. And so we, we realize that and we devote those things to God and we say, you use them in the way you want to. And by the way, thanks for letting me use some of your stuff. <clears throat> so, complete devotion looks extravagant. Complete devotion impacts the details of our lives. Not just the big stuff and the major decisions, but even the little tiny stuff that's part of everyday life. Fully devoted persons make themselves available to follow God's leadership in the details. If you, if you go back and read that portion that Dean read for us this morning in verse 8, it says that she did what she could. There had been a detail that had been overlooked there. She realized that. The woman in this story. She knew that details mattered. And when she fixed the problem, she did it. She was crazy about it. Details matter. Mary paid attention to the details that others overlooked. We need to be, pay attention to the details of our lives. Which means sometimes we need to do one of those, they're not always fun, but they're pretty important, spiritual checkups. You know, we need to check for slippage. You know what I mean? Personal, personal slippage in our marriage, in our service, in our giving, in our obedience. And we need to stay connected to other completely devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For a number of reasons. One is for encouragement. Hang in there. We... Hey, 
We're serving Jesus. He's the King and King of Lord and Lord of Lords. And He wins in the end. In fact, it may not always look like it, but He's winning right now. In fact, He won long ago. He took care of the whole deal when He rose from the grave. Satan was saying, I've lost all my power. Encouragement, accountability. We need to hold each other accountable. And that, that kind of slides over into this whole thing that we get caught up in sometimes about judging one another. We're not supposed to judge those outside the church, but did you know Paul gave us permission to judge one another inside the church? I mean, sometimes you have to be able to say, wait a minute, that's not right. You're on thin ice there, brother, sister. And we don't go to them and do that because, boy, am I anxious to find one. Or, you know, I mean, finally, I got one on them. That's not why we do that. We do that because we're concerned for them. We know where this can take us or take them. And we don't, you know, we don't do that in a public forum, but we go to them personally in love and say, hey, I'm concerned. That's holding each other accountable. I see some slippage. By the way, <clears throat> you know the thing about, well, don't, don't call somebody else on something when you've got a log in your own eye. You know what it says after that? Once you've removed the log from your eye, go ahead and talk to them about it. We have permission. Now, it means we, there's, it's this uh, uh, periodic spiritual checkups we need to do in our own lives to make sure that we're, our, our eyes aren't full of logs. Yeah? Accountability. Stay connected to other completely devoted followers of Jesus Christ for encouragement, accountability, and influence. We impact, we influence one another's lives. And we need to do it in the right way. And I'm telling you folks, here's one that's really, we need to be very careful about. And that is when new believers are in our sphere of influence, we need to be very careful about what we do to impact their lives. Because very often they... They look up to us as these, uh, we've kind of risen to the heights in their minds in some ways, you know. Hey, you're, you're kind of this uh, spiritual giant in my eyes. Look at uh, over um, some of the past years, some of the known Christian personalities that have fallen. And how many people fell with them. That can happen right on our own level. Because what happens sometimes is instead of looking to Jesus as our example, we look to someone else. And so that immature believer may be looking to you and how you live your life. And if you slip up or if you make choices that are questionable, you may have just said to them, well, or at least in their minds, well, must be okay for me too, when it's not okay at all. You see what I'm talking about? So, we stay connected, connected to other completely devoted followers of Jesus Christ for encouragement, for accountability, and for, and for influence. 
And then complete devotion produces incredible influence. Have you ever read an obituary that said something like this? Acts 13.36 For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. When David had served God's purpose in his generation. Boy, I hope that someone says that about me when at my funeral or memorial service or whatever they do for me. Verse 9, and I've already pointed this out. What she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, I used to, uh, when we pastored in Eastern Oregon, we had one funeral home in town. And um, I knew the staff there quite well. Our kids went to school with some of their kids, and I'd done, you know, a number of funerals through this funeral home. And so I went to them and said, listen, when you have people who don't have a church or need a pastor, I will volunteer to come in. And there were some times when I got called an hour ahead of a service that was to be held, and, you know, I was sitting down with the family, you know, so I could put something together in haste. What, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And I remember, that's, that's so true. What you do will be told in memory of you. I hope what's told in memory of you is that you live for Jesus. Because I remember some of these families, what they were telling in memory of their loved one wasn't very... Uh, nice. You know the great memories of mom and dad? Whew. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of influence do we have in the world where we live? And I'm not saying that your name will necessarily go down in history. Mine won't. However, if we are completely devoted to Christ, our lives will have an eternal impact, an eternal godly impact on those in our sphere of influence. I mean, think, and I know these are names we know well, but or at least some of these names we know well, think of the impact that people like George Mueller and Billy Graham and Hudson Taylor and Billy Sunday and those obscure, we'll call them obscure, and but godly people who influenced your life and mine. Names that maybe only you know. Influence. So what... Let's talk about our, motion, our, our, our motivation for complete devotion. Number one, to be completely devoted is an expression of gratitude to God. He gave his best for us. Why should we give less than our best to him? It's an expression of gratitude to God. The second 
motivation is that the world is drawn to a genuine, completely devoted life. Oswald Chambers, again, if you abandon everything to Jesus and come when he says come, then he will continue to say come through you. You will go out into the world reproducing the echo of Christ's come. That is a result in every soul who has abandoned all and come to Jesus. In other words, the way we live our lives will help draw people to Jesus. Because we're the real deal. We're, we're living all in. And then, another motivation for complete devotion is the deepest needs of our, of our own souls will never be satisfied without living this way. The deepest needs of our our own souls will never be satisfied without living in complete commitment, complete devotion, all in to Jesus Christ. Watchman Nee, I have never met a soul who has set, set out to satisfy the Lord and has not been satisfied himself. In contrast to that, there are many who have regretted ignoring God's call to complete devotion. Again, Oswald Chambers asked this question, Have you ever had a crisis in your life in which you deliberately, earnestly, and recklessly abandoned everything? Then he says this, It is a crisis of the will. You may come to that point many times externally, but it will amount to nothing. The true deep crisis of abandonment, total surrender, is reached internally, not externally. It is a decision we make and the work then of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, would those who will be serving us this morning go ahead and come forward and begin passing out the elements. We're going to partake of communion together this morning. That act of remembrance that calls to mind the sacrifice Jesus made on Calvary's cross as the once for all payment for our sins. Thank you. Just a reminder, you need not be a member of our church to partake of communion. Please hold the elements and we will partake together. I'm going to share with you the lyrics to a song that that Christian artist Steve Green did a number of years ago. And the first verse to this song is based on the story that was read for us from the book of Mark today. And it goes like this. One day a plain village woman, driven by love for her Lord, recklessly poured out a valuable essence, disregarding the scorn. And once it was broken and spilled out, a fragrance filled all the room, like a prisoner released from his shackles, like a spirit set free, from the tomb and the chorus broken and spilled out just for love of you Jesus my most precious treasure 
lavished on thee, broken and spilled out and poured at your feet. In sweet abandon, let me be spilled out and used up for thee. Then verse 2 draws parallels between what the, what the woman did for Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Lord, you were God's precious treasure, his loved and his own perfect son. Sent here to show me the love of the Father, just for love it was done. And though you were perfect and holy, you gave up yourself willingly. You you spared no expense for my pardon. You were used up and wasted for me. Broken and spilled out just for love of me, Jesus. God's most precious treasure lavished on me. You were broken and spilled out and poured at my feet. In sweet abandon, you were spilled out and used up for me. And then there's a last phrase at the end of that song. In sweet abandon, let me be spilled out and used up for thee. Jesus was all in for us. Jesus was all in for us. The prophet Isaiah wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Yes, praise God.